morning, everybody. My name's Chad. I'm one of the pastors. It's a joy to be with you. Uh, welcome to 2021. Uh, most of the time when New Year's comes around, I am one of those resolution guys. I like to make them. I like to pursue them. I like to fail at them. Um, this year, I am a little more hesitant about heading into New Year's. I think maybe all of us are a little uh, limping into 2021. My wife sent me a funny meme uh, that somebody, you maybe have seen this already, but most times people come to a year and they're like, 2020 is gonna be my year. I'm gonna pursue this, I'm gonna get this done. So somebody wrote this, nobody claim 2021 is your year. We're all going to walk in real slow. Be good, be quiet, don't touch anything. <laughs> you probably feel the same way about 2021. Um, now, even with that hesitancy that I have about this new year, I also have great expectation and absolute devotion to Jesus, to my wife, Lisa, to my children, to this church, to what God has for us. I think he has wonderful plans. I really do. Wonderful, wild plans. I don't believe he is asleep at the wheel. I don't think he, that he was on duty for 2021 and he nodded off and maybe forgot to turn a dial or something. I think he's in complete control, but it doesn't mean I don't have my doubts, right? We have doubts about things. Doubting sometimes gets a false kind of sense of what, that it's a bad thing. Doubting is sometimes just a part of life and a part of walking with Jesus. In fact, even if you're brand new today, we're in the middle of the gospel of Luke, but the great thing about the Holy Spirit is he knows exactly where you are and he knows exactly when you're going to show up somewhere and he's ready for you and ready to give you exactly what you need. This book though was written to somebody who was doubting, somebody who wasn't certain wasn't sure about Jesus, wasn't certain about this whole church and God thing. And so Luke wrote it originally so that this person could have certainty, could deal with their doubts. So today, and I love this, one of the things I love about just picking a book of the Bible and just going is because whoever's teaching, and if you missed last week, by the way, Pastor Carl did a wonderful job uh, moving us through the scripture, a different topic, but we have an awesome teaching team. And so you can never go wrong by spending time in the word with any one of our teachers. Um, but the passage that I got this week, I opened it up and I was like, for real, come on. Like this is the new year's sermon. This is the go. And you know what it's all about? Doubt uncertainty, somebody who shouldn't be doubting. Like, it's not like it's a guy that you're like, well, that guy's not even putting any effort into following Jesus. He like comes to church like once a year and he doesn't even think about God and, you know, just lives like hell the whole year and doesn't even do anything. He's doubting. Sure. That makes sense. But what if it's somebody who shouldn't be doubting? Somebody who is absolutely devoted, completely faithful, has been running the race. And you're like, if I could be like that person, I would be in good shape. That's the guy who's doubting. That's the guy who comes to Jesus and says, I got a few questions. I got some things I want to know. I don't know how you're approaching 2021. I have my doubts. I have my doubts about 2021, about what's happening in our world. And sure, 
I wake up, and honestly, last night I, I went outside to walk the dog. I was in the yard, standing there in the snow, kind of looking up, cold, being like, hurry up. Um, and I was talking to the Lord. I was talking to him about this passage, and I was like, John the Baptist, man. This is me praying, by the way, too. Sometimes I just, you just talk. Lord, he was, I mean, he was like the real deal. Like, if I could live a life that was like John the Baptist, I'd be cranking for you. And he's doubting. Like, this is, this is a difficult thing to see. And so I'm bringing my doubts. I just want you to know, I'm bringing my doubts about my life and about my devotion to Jesus to the passage today. I want you to do the same. I want to pray for us as we get started. Ask that Jesus would have his word travel across time, which it does to meet you sitting in that greenish gray seat. Ready? Or if you're online too, let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, your word. Lord, thank you for the timing. Uh, just even the way you have caused the text and the stories to be organized in a certain way that when we decide to preach on January 3rd, 2021, it's not this charge the hill, let's all be strong for Jesus passage. It's, hey, I got questions. Lord, you know that. You know that about us, what we need. You know what we're experiencing today, what we're thinking. And I just ask that your word with the help of the Holy Spirit, according to the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, would move us today. Transform our hearts, Lord. No matter where we are, no matter how far we think we've traveled in the wrong direction, we're here today. We're ready to listen to your voice. Would you speak in Jesus' name? Amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to get one. Uh, Luke chapter 7 verse 18. It's also going to be on the screen, so don't feel weird if you don't have one. You're not going to get, something's not going to happen to you. Bad. So you follow along <laughs> and listen, um, but I encourage you, be in the Lord's Word every day. Here we go. Luke 7, 18, uh, the doubting passage. Here we go. The disciples of John, this is John the Baptist, reported all these things. So whenever you see something like that, you want to be thinking, what things? And you just look back a couple of passages and you see, oh, the fact that Jesus is raising people from the dead and healing them and doing miracles and all these things. And John, he's hearing about this stuff. He calls two of his disciples to him and he says, I want you to go to Jesus and I want you to ask him something for me. What should we ask him? Are you the one? Are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for another? Because I'm a little tired and I've been in prison for 18 months and I was doing it for you and I've been following you and I just want to know, are you the one? So these guys came to Jesus and they said, John the Baptist, yes, that one, the one who was out there telling people that you were the one, the one who was baptizing people, calling them to follow you as the one has sent us to ask you if you're the one. Are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? So Jesus looks at them. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't answer with words right away. Look at verse 21. He answers with action. In that hour, he started healing people. Almost as if to say, 
watch this. Watch this. As we say down south, what's the redneck say before he jumps off the cliff? Watch this. Okay. So watch this. In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he said, hey, you want to see again? Here you go. Then he answered with words and said, now go and tell John what you have seen and heard. And this passage is straight from Isaiah. The blind received their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. Oh, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Hmm. All these things, like healing people, giving a paralytic the ability to use their limbs again, leprosy being cleansed, healing the centurion's son with just a word, servant with just a word, raising a widow from the dead. These things are big things. These things are great proof of who Jesus is, but he's in a hard place because he's in prison. He's struggling. He isn't necessarily excited at the moment. He's wondering if he's made a mistake. Did he make a mistake? Something's creeping into his mind and his heart and his experience. Doubt. In fact, we could easily give him a title just from these passages. If this was the only passage we read about this guy named John, you know what we could call him? Doubting John. Who else gets that title in the Bible? Thomas. Thomas, who I think gets a bad rap. You know why? Because the passage actually says all the other disciples who had just seen Jesus told Thomas he's alive. Thomas, all he said was, unless I get to see it and touch it too, I'm not going to believe. You're such a doubter. And he gets the name Doubting Thomas when actually all of them were in very much the same place. So we're going to redeem the Doubting phrase. And we're going to grab it for ourselves. Doubting John needs to become doubting Chad because I have doubts and it's not wrong to have doubts. In fact, doubt and unbelief aren't the same thing. There's a guy named Henry Drummond and he distinguishes between the two. He says, doubt is honest. Doubt says, I can't, at least not yet, not at the moment, believe this. Unbelief says, I won't, I refuse. Doubt's a good thing, bring it. It's kind of what Jesus said, bring it to me. So it's possible we see it in the disciples to be around Jesus, to hear his voice, to see his miracles, to walk with him, to live in his favor and to still doubt. It's possible, you look at the whole Old Testament, the Psalms, if you wanna step into something where you're getting like how somebody feels and it's, ugly at times, read the Psalms. They say things like this. Where are you? You may think the Psalms are like, blessed is the Lord. Like it's not. They're like, where are you? Why won't you show up? Don't you love us? But what's cool about the Psalms is usually about midway through, they always do this shift and it says, but I will remember who you are. I will look to you. And what I love about John is he's not just sitting in his doubt. He's saying, take it, <laughs> take it to him for me. Ask him the question. 
Are you really the one? Are you sure? It's a fair question, but it's also a question that he used to know the answer. He used to be the one giving the answer. He's standing out there in the gospel of Mark. His own disciples are with him. Jesus comes walking by and you know what he says? Behold, the one, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so here he is. Are you really the one? You just were preaching it. How has it changed? Well, life happened. 2020 happened to John. He's been in that prison for 18 months. He's had high highs with Christ, believing, experiencing him, and low lows, the same kind you experience in the Psalms that say, where are you? I don't even think you love me. Now, he's experiencing that doubt, decides to take it to Jesus. The same guy who had leapt in the womb, this was Elizabeth came up. Here's Elizabeth coming up to Mary. They're both pregnant and Jesus gets close in utero and John in utero in the womb goes and jumps. And she's like, my baby just leapt when you got near me. That John, the same one who had baptized repentance, who had pushed people to follow. That's the John that is asking the question. He used to hear God's voice. He used to tell people what God was saying. You know, know what he hears now? Drip, drip of his leaky prison cell. And he feels the cold ground and probably the bruises on his back from being beaten, all because he dared to tell Herod, hey, you shouldn't sleep with your brother's wife. You should follow the ways of God. So he's in there because of Jesus, because he was pointing to him. So how did this happen? And I think it's a, it's a good question to ask because we want to ask about how this happens in our own life. First is unmet expectations. He expected Jesus to be this war horse, Messiah coming in, cleaning house, establishing his kingdom. I want you to do this now. I want you to, if you're the real king, then act like a king. Why don't you just show yourself? Do you have unmet expectations when it comes to God? Maybe it was about timing. It wasn't fast enough. Do you have something in your life right now that you hoped that God would change, but he hasn't yet? Maybe somebody in your life that you want to follow the Lord, you want to know the Lord, you've been praying for them, they've been wandering, they're still wandering, God's not changing their heart every time you try to talk to them, nothing happens. Maybe there's a physical illness in your life, a healing, you know God could do it, you know, he could change it in a second, but he hasn't. And so the timing isn't working for you. Our instant and quick self-focused world likes things in two days or less, right? If there was an Amazon Prime fee to Jesus, we would pay it. Two days for prayers. That's what I expect. If not, I'm sending it back. But it doesn't happen. He's not getting this. So how does Jesus respond? Because John is pretty much just saying what a lot of us want to say. Are you the one? Or is this real? Have I been doing this whole thing for 30 something years and I'm off and I shouldn't be doing it? Is the world right? Is the world right? The more and more they pull out of this book to say, no, you can't believe that. You can't believe that. Oh, that's just a fable. That's just a myth. Are you serious? That's so judgmental. Is the world right or are you the one? Are your words true? So how does Jesus respond to us when we bring these kinds of doubts? John, John, John. I had such high 
hopes for you. Wow, what a disappointment you've become. I mean, you were the forerunner, all dressed up in camel hair, eating bugs, baptizing people. Now look at you. Is that how Jesus handles doubt? No way, never. If you bring it to him, he will respond with grace, sometimes with a little mystery, as we're going to see, kindness, action, love, tough love, for sure, tough love, but with purpose, and hear this one, right on time, as John sits in his prison cell, right on time. So I mentioned this as I read it through, but he responds by doing Verse 21, in that hour, he was healing people. He was casting out demons. He's giving people back their sight. He's acting like the Messiah in front of the people who just asked him, are you the Messiah? So without even saying it, he's kind of implying, watch me. Watch this. Watch what I'm doing. He's answering with real live Messiah stuff. And the Isaiah passage is the Messiah passage saying, this is what he's going to do. These are the things he will be doing. The lame will walk. The mute will speak. Those who can't see will see. The ears of those who are deaf will be unstopped. The spirit of the sovereign Lord will be upon this person. The Lord will anoint him to preach good news to the poor. You get it. Jesus is saying, yes, yes, you better believe it's me. And I'm giving you some proof to take along with. Tell him it's really, really me. I'm fulfilling it right now. And then he adds this little gem at the end. But blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So this is rhetorical, but just think about it for a second. Is Jesus rebuking? Is he trying to correct? I don't think so. I think he's saying... Hold fast, John. Stay with me here. I got you. I've got this. I've got this. I know you don't get it. I know you don't get the timing. I know you get your own expectations, the things you're wanting me to do, when you want me to do them, but just hold fast. And then he sends them off. Take it. Take that back to him. Tell him what you saw. Tell him what you heard. Tell him what I said. What happens next is, I think, wonderful. And causes a lot of stuff to stir up in me. Because Jesus starts talking about John behind his back. He can't hear him. And Jesus says, I'm going to talk about him now. Now that his buddies are gone, let's talk about him. Look at verse 24. When John's messengers had gone, when John's messengers had gone, not like, listen, if somebody's discouraged and comes to you and says, I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't even know if this is, are you, do you even love me? What am I, like, how am I supposed to keep going? I feel so awful about myself. I don't even like myself. I like, well, what do we do? What do we do instinctively? No, 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 no. I love you. Yes, you're amazing. You're this, you're this. We do it instinctively. We encourage, we know to kind of lift, lift up. And Jesus waits until they're gone to do that. So just think about that as this first part. When the messengers had gone, Jesus said, let me tell you about John. Let me tell you what the kind of guy he is. What did you go out into the wilderness to see anyway? When you went out there to see him, a reed shaken by the wind, this paperweight who couldn't even stand up, what did you go out to see? A guy dressed up in soft clothing, 
Blessed, behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing, live in luxury. They're in king's courts. That's not what you went to see. What did you go out to see then? A prophet. Yes, a prophet. Somebody who was telling you about me. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the guy that it was written about. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Whoa. It's a crazy statement. Now, before I read the next one, I'm going to tell you that I've heard that preached to me in a way that made me feel so awful about myself. Awful. No one has been greater than John. Therefore, church, therefore, Chad, doubting Chad, get it together. Gear up, be a man, follow me, do the right things. If you don't, you're not going to be great. And God is looking for great people in his kingdom. That's the only way he's going to come back. That's the only way he's going to do good things. If you hear that, walk out. Walk out. It is not what Jesus is saying. And how do we know that? Because look at what he says next. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. What are you talking about, Jesus? (laughs) What does that mean? The one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So if I'm writing this story, which I wasn't, but... And I'm writing a superhero story. And this is older. It's not Marvel. This is more like older school, like Superman stuff, Lois Lane. But what does Superman do? He's walking around in glasses. Everybody knows it's him. But apparently nobody knows it's him until he takes off the glasses, gets in the phone booth, opens up his shirt. Have you ever, like, that frustrated me so much. You're watching those old movies and you're like, of course it's him. Everybody he looks like him. But nope, takes out the glasses, gets in the phone booth, and it's always this scene. Like they cut just before. And he's like, and then, poof, you know, all of a sudden he comes out. But what happens when he opens the shirt? Big S on there. I'm writing this story. You got guys coming up. You got one of your very own in prison being held by a really bad villain. The Lex Luthor of Jerusalem, Herod the Great, is holding John the Baptist in prison. He comes up, says, hey, he's been there 18 months. He's really wondering if you're the real guy. Remember all the stuff he did for you. Now would be the moment, Jesus, to take off the glasses, step into the phone booth, and reveal the J. Right? The J, it's him, it's the superhero Jesus. And so here's the dialogue I would write for Jesus. Of course I'm the one. Now watch me send a thousand angels to break John out of prison. Let's get this thing going. And after we get him out of prison, I'm going to raise up an army and we're going to go to Rome and we're going to topple Caesar. And I'm just going to look at him and lightning bolts are going to fly from my eyeballs. And I'm just going to speak and the trees are going to bow down. We're going to get this thing done. Superhero style because I am the Messiah and it is what I can do. And I can just say the word, but I didn't write it. And that's not what God acts like. He is mysterious. He is indirect. He does things that go straight to your heart and sometimes miss your eyeballs and your ears and goes after you because John stays in prison. John receives the message in prison. 
Jesus, who could have easily pulled this off, just with the word jail, open. Herod, dead. John, walk out. I'm free. He could do it so fast, but he doesn't. Instead, he talks about greatness. Greatness. Jesus is master at turning and shifting and twisting the plot to get us to think about the right things. John was the real deal. He's saying that for sure. He gave of himself to me. He is authentic. It is a path of faith that you should look to and model for sure. But it isn't what he says about John that should catch your attention. It's what he says about those other people. You know who those other people are? Right here. This verse is about you, or it could be. Not because of your effort, but just because of your potential surrender. The greater people could be us. So I watched Jesus talking about John behind his back, and that gets me thinking, and I wonder, what does Jesus say about me behind my back? What does he Wait a minute. You mean he thinks about me? You mean he actually wants to talk about my life and the things I'm doing? My family and my friends and the things I like and the jokes that are funny to me. And he's interested in that stuff? Yes, he's interested in that stuff. What's amazing about these verses is that he's talking about you. And he's hitting on a topic that our world is obsessed with. I'm convinced our world has the wrong definition of. It's the topic of greatness. But here you're going to get greatness defined by Jesus. Greatness defined by Jesus. It's a little bit of a play on words. I'll let it sit with you for a minute. How do you see greatness, Jesus? Turns to the crowd and he says, listen, John is, not was, he is great. He's doubting though. He's not believing in you right now. He is, you mean he was, right? He was when he was down there doing the stuff, when he was being faithful, when he was preaching, when he was baptizing people, that's when John was great. Nope, John is great. One of the greatest. Confusing, Jesus. How can that be? Isn't he not so great this moment? What makes him great, Jesus? How do you define greatness? Let's read that phrase again. Greatness, we'll add a little word, is defined by Jesus. Greatness is defined by Jesus. Not just that he has ideas about greatness. He is it. Jesus is great. Therefore, anyone who is connected to him has the potential to have that greatness applied to their life. So when he's talking about John here, I think Jesus is an artist. Let's imagine a sculptor. He's got this lump of clay and he's been shaping it and forming it. And it's like, wow, that's really good. And you're, you're good at that. How do you do that? Gets to be forming. And it's this amazing sculpture. And he steps back. And what's the sculpture doing? Sculpture's really in doubt that the artist is good at this. 
It's kind of funny if you think about it. The clay is having doubts about the artist's abilities. Nevertheless, the artist knows what he's doing. The artist has stepped back and says, isn't this great? Isn't this great? I made this. Isn't it beautiful? Jesus is stepping back from John, who even though in this moment is being clay that has doubts about the artist, and he's saying, isn't this great? Look at what I did. I am very proud of this. I'm proud of the call that I put on his life. I'm proud of the way he responded. I'm proud of the way that I empowered and equipped and moved him to continue doing that. Even in this moment, when he is doubting his role as clay, I'm proud of him. He's great. But the best part is that greatness in John is not found in John. Greatness in John is found in the one who created him, shaped him, is shaping him, is moving in his heart, and has given him a purpose to prepare the way for his coming. So everything, if you haven't figured this out about Pleasant Valley, you will, and maybe you'll leave eventually. And if you leave with this thought, that's great. Everything always, always, always comes back to Jesus. Always. Every story moves you back to him as the great one. But Jesus says something about you should, that should move your heart. Jesus is talking about you and says, John is great, but you could be greater. You could be greater. So why? Very simple. John was the last prophet, capital P, prophet, to speak and point people to the coming Christ. He was the one who prepared the way. He got to do the final red carpet up to Jesus. When Jesus shows up, there's a new way, a new covenant. John will be killed in prison, beheaded. He will not see Jesus die on the cross. He will not be there for the resurrection. He is not alive afterwards when Pentecost happens and the spirit falls. So therefore, he does not get to experience the greater reality of those who live in and under the new covenant in Jesus, which is you if you want it. He was under the old system where there had to be a mediator. There had to be a priest. There had to be somebody in the temple. You had to bring sacrifices. You had to do this stuff. And then all of a sudden Jesus comes and says, oh, hey, by the way, I would like to live in your heart and I would like to be the final sacrifice for you. Jesus says, that's what will bring greatness in your life, is me, the great one. We have that privilege, which is why Jesus says, the least of these. Those who live on this side of the cross, resurrection, ascension, and eventual return of Jesus, greatness. Anyone who is now found in Christ, hear this. In his completed work of righteousness is greater than any of the saints of old. Even the Hebrews 11 hall of faith stuff, greater than any of them. This is what it says. Even Hebrews says they weren't complete without you. They didn't yet, they didn't receive the promise because they wouldn't be complete without you. Scripture says greatness found those who have the spirit of God dwelling in them. Do you know that Bible actually says that angels look at you if you know Jesus and you have him living in your heart and it says they long to know what that's like. They long to look into it, to experience what you experience, which is why Jesus said, 
This is greatness. The key element of greatness is found in his life, death, and resurrection. We have nothing to offer or add to that. That is greatness. Greatness defined by Jesus. So the question, as you think about that, Jesus talking about John, Jesus talking about you, is, is he talking about you? Have you said yes to that? Have you submitted to his rule and his reign and his righteousness in your life? The thing about Jesus saying things and speaking is you aren't allowed to ignore it. You have to respond. So, and with the Bible, any story in the Bible, the goal is to get you to respond to him. And so starts with, hey, there's this guy with doubt. He shouldn't be having doubt. He comes, he asks questions, Jesus answers. And then Jesus looks at you and says, and what about you? What about you? Look in the last few verses and you'll see some people and what they did. And again, it's there so that you can go, hmm, which one am I? Verse 29, when all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, Luke loves to throw in the tax collectors because he knows everybody hates them. He knows it's almost like being like, and the grubby tax collectors, can you believe it? Even the tax collectors, they heard this and they declared God just. God is right. What he's saying is right. They had been baptized with the baptism of John, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by, by him. So Jesus tells a little parable, and one commentator called this the parable of the brats, the spoiled brats. He says, what should I compare this, the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like kids who are sitting out in the marketplace and calling to one another and saying, no, we played the flute for you and you wouldn't even dance for us. And we did this funeral song and you wouldn't mourn. Why won't you do what we want you to do when we want you to do it, when we need it, we need it now, this spoiled brats. That's all it is. That's all that, that, that thing was confusing to me forever when I used to read that. I was like, what's a dirge? Because that's what it says. We, played, we sang a dirge and you did not weep. He says, you're just kids who are basically saying, you won't do what we want. You won't play our game the way we want you to play it. They're not participating at all in what God is trying to say. And then he closes it off. Verse 33, John the Baptist has come eating no bread, drinking no wine. He was out in the wilderness and, and they, you said about him, well, he's just got a demon. That's his problem. So, so then Jesus comes along. He is eating and drinking. He is spending time with people. And you say, look at him. He's just a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet there are some kids. There's some wisdom kids out there. Now there's the spoiled brats in the marketplace, but wisdom has kids too. Wisdom is justified by all her children. Another way to say that is there will be some who will listen, some who will respond. So Jesus speaks, you must respond. Even if you say, I'm not going to respond, you are. <laughs> There's no like, you will stand before him one day. And so my encouragement to you is do it now. Don't wait for then. Do it now. Be found in his righteousness now. So all the people heard this, including the grubby tax collectors. They basically said, God is right. We say yes to him. We said yes to John. We had nothing to lose. People hated us anyway. We brought all our baggage, all of our doubt, all of our struggles. And we say, God is right. And now Jesus, you're saying you're the one. And so we agree. Yes. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, AKA those who were smart, all studied up, the ones who should know 
how to follow the Lord, the ones who had parsed it down to all these little rules and extra laws should be modeling the ways of the Lord, should be the ones responding. They aren't. They listen to Jesus and their response is the answer to a question. And the question is this, what's the worst thing you can do with your life? What's the worst thing you can do in 2021? Verse 30 has the answer. They rejected God's purpose for their life. Nope, we're not going to follow you. Every story, every truth is meant to get you to respond to Jesus. And maybe it is to re-respond and to get your life shored up again because you've drifted. But it's always to get you pursuing him to accepting his purpose and his way for your life. So you know me, if you've listened to me speak before, I like to think about the in-between. So I imagine one of these guys, one of these Pharisees, one of these lawyers sitting at some Jerusalem cafe later, sitting at a table with a buddy who is not all the way there yet, hasn't decided to reject. And he sits across from him and the guy who's just left this whole little interaction with Jesus and has rejected him takes a sip of whatever he's drinking, puts it down, and he says, you did what? He says, I looked at this guy, Jesus, and I am rejecting God's purpose for my life. Imagine saying that in a sentence in your world, 2021. Somebody says, what about you? What are you going to do? You've heard, you've been to church. You've heard people preach about God and the Bible and following Jesus, that Jesus is the only way. What are you going to do? I'm going to buy some caribou. I'm going to sit down and I have decided to reject God's purpose for my life. Imagine saying that in a sentence. Now we do it sometimes without words though, don't we? I'm rejecting. I know best. I will be calling the shots. He certainly can't handle 2020. Why would I give him my life? I don't need you, Jesus. If you've heard me say it once, you've heard me say it a hundred times, why are they doing this? Why do we do this? Genesis 3, Adam and Eve did exactly the same thing. We reject God's purpose for our life. We reject. And you inherited that spiritual DNA and you wonder why you choose sin. You wonder why you choose to reject daily. There's a reason. It's the track you're on. It's the reject fallen sin track. I will follow this track until Jesus comes in and bumps me off, gives me the opportunity to respond to him. And I can resist. I can be like, no, no, thanks. I am rejecting God's purpose. But the tax collectors, the people who shouldn't, the people in the crowd who had nothing on their resume that would impress anyone, especially as it dealt with spiritual things, they're bringing their doubts, they're bringing their junk, they're bringing their stuff, and they're like, here, here, are you the one? You can have all this if you are. Are you the one? And they're like, you are. You are. We are responding. We are responding. How about you? This year, as you think about what God has in store for you, his plan, his purposes, will you take your doubts to Jesus? 
Will you ask him the question? Will you believe in him? Will you trust him? Will you follow him? Will you wait for his timing? Will you love him? That's what he wants. Can you hear him calling out to you today? He has a purpose, a wonderful plan for you in 2021, and it is the only way. That is clear from the Bible. It isn't mentioned in this passage, but we can be certain that those disciples who asked the question made it back to John. So in my normal way, I picture the dark, dank, musty, dripping cell. And I see one of John's disciples pop up to the window with the bars and go, hey, we, uh, we went and talked to him. We asked him what you asked us to ask. Here's John back in the corner, maybe sitting down in the dark. I'm so tired of this. He looks up. He comes close. What did he say? Tell them what he did, what they saw. And then the verse from Isaiah. And I just imagine John hearing this kind of hold fast message from Christ relayed to him. And I see him looking at them saying, okay, thank you. May we do the same. I'm going to ask those that are serving, um, actually we're serving ourselves, habit. Um, grab one of these. If you need one, there's somebody who can bring one to you. Um, this is for those who have said yes to Jesus. You've accepted that. Um, but it's not to exclude those who want to be at the table. That's kind of the whole point is to invite you to accept the greatness and the righteousness of Jesus for your own life and bring your doubts and your sins to him. He takes them. So that's what we do. And go, feel free, go ahead and crinkle and crunch. I know that makes, it makes a lot of noise. Um, thank you, COVID. You're, yeah. The table with the Lord is, uh, wasn't this chance dinner. It was a Passover meal. And the Passover meal goes all the way back to the Exodus when the Lord was having the angel of death pass through their homes. And those who had obeyed the Lord and taken the blood of a lamb, placed it over the lentil and the doorpost of their house, God would pass by and he would pass. And he would say, this is a house obedient in faith, has applied the blood. The Passover meal is exactly that. It's Jesus basically saying, I am that lamb that was broken for you. John 6, 35, he said this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not go hungry. Doesn't mean you might not have a few little rumbles in your spiritual stomach while you wait, but you will not go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. As they were eating, Jesus took bread. After blessing it, he broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. Let's partake together.
He also took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is greatness. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's partake. Well, Lord, we love you. And I'm so thankful that one of the greatest guys in the New Testament, John the Baptist, had doubts. That he had bad days, that he had 2020s, that he had moments where even though he'd been following you and leading people to you and serving you, that he actually just got to a place where it was just too much. And he needed to ask a question. But he asked you. He asked you. He brought it to you. And Lord, I love the thought that you not only know us, but that you've planned out our lives. Lord, you've written down the days of our lives in your book. You care about the small things. You love to think about us. Lord, it, your word says that your thoughts about us are more than the numbers of the grain, grains of sand in the whole world. That's crazy. That's so many thoughts. And your greatness none can fathom, and yet you offer all of it to us. Pray, Lord, this year would be the year of Jesus. The year of the greatness of Jesus. Yes, filled with our uncertainty and doubt and struggles, but all brought to you all asking you to lead us, to guide us, to encourage us, to be the lifter of our head, to be our shield, to be a strong tower that we can run and be safe. Lord, we love you this morning. Uh, for those of us who are saying we think we like you, uh, would you move that needle a little more? Help us to fall in love with you. God, would you use this uh, last song of blessing to uh, do just that, impart to us blessing that only comes from you, Jesus. Amen. Why don't we stand as we sing?